Jimmy's Table. Hey everybody, you're listening to the Jimmy's Table podcast, jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey, where I like to have conversations about faith, life, culture, and sometimes food. Today is episode 77, and I'm going to talk about what the Mafia's Ten Commandments can teach us. You heard me right. The Mafia's Ten Commandments. Before I get into the idea of the Mafia's Ten Commandments, let me play a little scene from the movie Goodfellas to kind of settle a little bit better context here for today. Congratulations. Here's your graduation. I'm pinched. Everybody gets pinched, but you did it right. You told them nothing and they got nothing. I thought you'd be mad. Man, I'm not mad. I'm proud of you. You took your first pinch like a man and you learned the two greatest things in life. What? Look at me. Never ride on your friends and always keep your mouth shut. So it might be kind of weird to say this, but folks in the mafia and other organized crime syndicates, they're highly ethical human beings. And I know it might, it's, might sound strange to, to say that, especially as an individual who would consider themselves an evangelical Christian, as an individual who's been to Bible college and seminary. But hear me out. Every society, every culture, every organization has about it a certain expected code of conduct, um, an expected sort of sense of values that it expects everybody that's part of the organization or culture or family uh, to ultimately embody. And this is true whether we are talking about a mafia or whether we are talking about a church, a political organization, a country, a corporation, your local sports team, or even your family and my family. We all kind of have an expected code of conduct and an expected sense of shared values that we expect all individuals involved in our organization, family, culture, or other subgroup to ultimately believe and embody and practice. And this is true even in the idea of a mafia. You've probably heard the old saying about there being honor, honor among thieves. And the basic idea behind this is that even in the community of the criminal underworld, there's an expectation of certain set of ethics and codes of conduct that they expect those who are part of their criminal organization to ultimately embody. Criminals don't compromise the criminal activity of other criminals and they even ultimately adhere to their own sense of morality. And we see this play out beautifully in The Goodfellas, in which this young man is in court. And, you know, he keeps his lip shut, even though he's, quote-unquote, being pinched. And uh, his, his mobster leader um, ultimately comes and congratulates him uh, for being loyalty and keeping his mouth shut. All of those sort of mentalities at the end of the day uh, embody a sense that even amongst criminals, there is a certain sense of morality, a certain sense of justice, a certain sense of ethical expectations of what it means to belong. And over a decade ago, there was a mob boss by the name of Salvatore Lo Piccolo, um, who was part of a Sicilian mafia 
in Italy. And when his home and, and corporations and all that fun stuff were raided by the police and they started sorting through his uh, documentation, they found a quote-unquote Ten Commandments <laughs> that uh, this mobster had set up of what it meant to be part of the family. Um, and, and I thought it would be funny and humorous and informative to read these Ten Commandments from the Mafia and then maybe kind of get some sort of sense of what we can ultimately take away from the Ten Commandments of this Mafia boss. So let me go ahead and read this. I have this from a BBC article linked to in the show notes at jimmystable.com for episode 77. You can look it up. So commandment number one. No one can present himself directly to another of our friends. There must be a third person to do it. Commandment number two. Never look at the wives of friends. Commandment number three. Never be seen with the police. Commandment number four. Don't go to pubs and clubs. Commandment number five, always being available for Cosa Nostra as a duty, even if your wife is about to give birth. <laughs> That's hilarious. Commandment number six, appointments must be absolutely respected, so never be late. Commandment number seven, wives must be treated with respect. Commandment number eight, when asked for any information, the answer must always be the truth. Commandment number nine. Money cannot be appropriated if it belongs to others or to other families. And commandment number ten. People who can't be part of Cosa Nostra, anyone who has close relatives with the police, anyone with a two-timing relative in the family, anyone who behaves badly and doesn't hold to moral values. So I give you, my friends, the Ten Commandments of the Mafia as outlined by Moses himself, Salvador Lo Piccolo, a Sicilian-Italian mob boss um, from over a decade ago. I don't know about you, but I find it really hilarious that the idea that a Mafia, an organized crime syndicate, this, this family would have such a commandment-like system, a sense of ethical morality. I mean, they even outline it as commandment number 10. In spite of all the criminal activity that they're ultimately involved with, they are looking for anybody who has strong moral family values and who doesn't behave badly and who holds to good values. Um, you know, except for the ones that would obviously exclude organized crime. Those, those are definite virtues. Um, but it, I, I get a great sense of this that, you know, we often have this saying um, when individuals get called out for their sins in any community that we belong to. There is always inevitably somebody who stands up in the back room and says, well, we're all just sinners at the end of the day, right? And sayings like that kind of bother me. In fact, they deeply bother me because... Yes, while it is true that we are all just sinners, we're all just sons and descendants of Adam at the end of the day, the first sinner, and, and some of us are very notorious sinners, um, whatever the case may be, um, we still all have an expectation in whatever community we find ourselves to be a part of to hold to sort, certain ethical values and behaviors 
And any violation of that ethical code of conduct is ultimately a threat to the life of that community. That's why it's important um, that we never just simply dismiss individuals and say make excuses for their sins and say, well, you know, David was a sinner. David had Bathsheba. David, you know, killed Uriah. And, you know, David did all these terrible things. So it's okay for, you know, our politicians or our presidents or our um, preachers to occasionally get caught in these sins and trespasses because, you know, we're all just sinners at the end of the day. Um, and I must say, I absolutely condemn that sort of thinking as, frankly, let's just put it out there. Such thinking is idiotic. And it's a departure from anything that has to do with a biblical sense of morality. And if you're going ahead and excusing such uh, misbehavior when you see people uh, act up in sin, um, yes, while it is true in some sort of base theological sense that we are all just sinners, it is idiotic to think that we can just nod and wink at sin. And I don't sit here and say that just simply in some sort of religious sense. I, I'm talking about this even if you're not uh, a religious individual, even if you don't hold to the teachings of the Bible as, as I do, even if you are a devout atheist, at the end of the day, we are all social creatures. And as social creatures, the only way we can function in a society without diving into uh, absolute anarchy is to hold common values, beliefs, and practices that all of those who belong to our segment of society, our corporation, our family, our crime syndicate, our mob boss, our church, our political organization, or what have you. At the end of the day, we all must embody um, whoever identifies as part of our group, whatever that group is, must ultimately identify and embody that ethical system. Because the failure to ultimately adhere to that ethical system, whatever that ethical system is, will ultimately result in the destruction of that criminal organization, that corporation, that church, that family, or that country. Community cannot exist without ethics. And no matter what community you consider yourself a part of, the fabric of that community can only exist when there are certain agreed values and behaviors that everybody agrees to hold in common. And when members violate those values and behaviors, the very lifeblood of that community is threatened. No matter what it is that we're ultimately talking about, no matter what organization or part of society it is. And I think that's why you see even mafia-type individuals hold ethical codes because they realize these things are true. An organized crime family like the mafia is not going to be able to function if all of a sudden everybody is cheating on each other with their spouses, if everybody is all of a sudden making cozy with the police, if everybody all of a sudden is snitching and ratting each other out. Um, if all those things start happening... That, that mob family is ultimately doomed to destruction and the common criminal activity that they enjoy and profit from um, and in, that enriches their lives ultimately is doomed to failure. And that's why they have to go about having old sayings like snitches get stitches. Because at the end of the day, they have to realize that, hey, there is a certain honor that must exist even among thieves. 
Um, and even though some would say there is no honor among thieves, at the end of the day, they are all kind of in it together. And they, unless they decide to go out and strike it out on their own um, and try some underhanded move to gain power over some other you know, aspect of the family organization or what have you, if they're committed to the success of whatever it is they're involved with, they're going to have to adhere to the Ten Commandments of the Mafia and whatever their version of Moses happens to say. And a failure to live up to those standards should result in expulsion from that community, should involve a shunning of the members of that community, should involve an excommunication or discipline, if you will, of those who have violated the community uh, behavior and ethics and guidelines and values. And that's why it's appropriate for, you know, somebody in the mob to kill somebody for violating one of their commandments. Because if they don't kill that individual, then there's a very good chance that they could be at the other end of a gun or a noose or somewhere in the jail and the entire organization and its existence ultimately threatened and doomed. And nobody's going to be able to make money at the end of the day. Which is problematic if you're running a mafia crime syndicate organization. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I find this interesting because, you know, even in this dark criminal underbelly of the world, there exists a sense of it. And I almost think sometimes maybe perhaps they take such things more serious than you and I who, you know, play more by the so-called rules of society and are more willing to wink and nod at people who violate behavior um, and expected codes of conduct and ethical um, teachings simply because they are successful. Look at how, as evangelicals, uh, many within my so-called niche of the world, um, the evangelical uh, Americans have kind of made a wink and a nod at you know President Trump, uh, even though he wasn't one of them, uh, or one of us, should I say, um, you know, the fact that he sexually harassed women and grabbed them by their genitalia and was involved in shady real estate dealings and gambling and, and uh, you know, all that fun stuff. You know, many said, well, you know, we can't expect uh, perfect behavior from our presidents. We're electing a politician, not a pope at the end of the day. Or look at uh, disgraced uh, President Jerry Falwell at Liberty University who recently got caught in his own moral problems. People were, you know, knowing that Jerry Falwell had issues for years and years and years, and they allowed that to fester, um, but eventually got to the point where his immorality grew to such an extent that they finally had to cut him off from being the head of an evangelical um, Bible college. But don't just sit here to think that I'm, you know, knocking on Republicans or I'm knocking on evangelicals or Trump or, or what have you. This is true regardless of what we're talking about, whether it's crime, whether it's the church, whether it's a corporation, whether it's your family or my family. All these sort of rules, um, all these sort of sense of behaviors ultimately apply because if we are serious about whatever it is we're supposed to be serious about and the things that we hold in common, the things that we ultimately uh, envision to make our world a better place for us and our families and, and individuals um, for whatever organizations that we ultimately run, 
we must agree and ultimately operate out of a sense that the ethics of our community is far greater than any success the community might enjoy and celebrate. And when numbers and success and fame and fortune, you know, all take precedent over the values and ethics and behaviors and code of conduct that um, we are expected to embody and live out as an organization, then the very life of that organization is in jeopardy. And we see that time and time again throughout the history of the world in which a leader of an organization does not live up to the standards of that organization and then they fall into some sort of moral legal failure of some sort and as a result the rest of that organization suffers for it and there becomes a corrupting and corroding influence that ultimately chips away at the heart and the mission of what that organization or family um, or country or whatever is attempting to do and eventually it all goes to the wayside. So we must make sure that whatever we do, whatever we're involved with, that we safeguard what it is that we're supposed to be ultimately about. And any time as an organization that we put profit and success and popularity and all the visible signs of the things that we really want uh, our organizations to ultimately have above that of whatever the values and conduct and behaviors and ethical sense of what the community is ultimately supposed to be about. Anytime we put all that stuff, all that flashy stuff ahead of what we're supposed to be, we're essentially engaged in a self form of sabotage in which we're slitting our own throats in which we are dooming our own selves to failure and that's why i think you know you can make better sense especially when you look at the old testament and things like that at which uh the conduct of uh you know that uh, moses expected of the jewish people that certain violations of certain codes of conduct would ultimately result and individuals being stoned to death. Because Moses realized that it wasn't just about the individual infraction, and it wasn't just about the individual and, and what sin that they committed and the scope of whatever you think that sin was. The truth of the matter is they saw such things, even though it may sound so primitive to some of us and we might kind of scoff at the idea of uh, somebody stoning another individual as kind of a barbaric practice. But they really saw such conduct as ultimately a threat to the existence of the community itself and its ability to ultimately live and thrive. And so they expected any individual who was part of the, the Jewish community to you know, have no other gods before the Lord their God and to not do things like commit adultery, steal or murder or any other number of practices because they saw such things as ultimately dooming the community to failure uh, not only with the internal strife that it would create but uh, they saw such things as opening themselves to the judgment of God um, and the threats that they felt God was making against the community should they fail to become the people that God wanted them to become and we see this 
theme play out well in the Old Testament at one point where every man does what is right in his own eyes and the individuals of the community weren't living according to the covenant that God had established through Moses and how this opened them up to destructive forces not only internally within the community but then it also made them subject to being the prey of other nations in which you know other nations ultimately came down and and entered into judgment against against the nation of Israel and they led them into captivity and slayed them and sent them into exile and destroyed their homes and destroyed their temple and sent them to the four corners of the earth and all because they got lax with the ethical code of conduct that God had expected the nation to govern themselves by and he promised that should they live according to his statutes and his commandments that they would know an abiding peace um, throughout the land that he would establish them in safety and security but if they failed to live up to the code of conduct that God expected among them and to embody certain values and behaviors and beliefs and values that such would ultimately subject them to ultimate doom and that's exactly what ended up happening over their history uh, they appointed for themselves uh, wicked leaders who misled the community and led them astray and as time went on they started getting chipped away at and eventually they got to the point where other nations would swoop down and destroy them. So knowing such things, we ought to learn. We ought to learn from the history of these people, the Jewish people. We ought to learn from the constant tragedies that we have seen played out time and time again throughout the history of the world in which organizations betrayed their values, beliefs, ethics, codes of conduct, and ultimately the destruction that was wrought in such organizations for that betrayal, for allowing those things to fester. And I think that's why when you like read the New Testament also, when it talks about the appointing of pastoral leaders uh, to the community, like you see in 1 Timothy chapter 3, you know, the first thing that the Apostle Paul established for Timothy is, you know, not that a preacher would hold to certain theological persuasion or that they would be uh, individuals who are very talented performers on stage and individuals who could preach great sermons and and do all these technocratic sort of pastoral functions. Um, but when Paul appointed Timothy uh, to go appoint uh, leaders in the early church, we see that the, the primary emphasis of, upon the leaders that they were supposed to appoint were individuals who lived above reproach that is that they were individuals whose lives were blameless as far as what the community expected of them um, and their code of conduct and their behavior and their values and that they would have a good reputation with outsiders as well because they knew the apostle paul knew that the the ethics the beliefs the values the stuff of the people was more important to the life of the community that he was helping build uh, in the church um, than, you know, necessarily codified commandments and teachings about doctrines and, you know, specific practices as, as important as those things might be in them of themselves. Um, the, the sense of who they appointed to be their leaders weren't simply individuals who went to seminary and could pass a, pass a test. 
um, and answer all the right questions when asked. You know, it was about the individuals, their conduct, who they were as people. But I've noticed in the church over the years, and I'm speaking as uh, a, a churchman myself, as somebody who's been involved in ministry, uh, who's been to Bible college and seminary, and who's had a lot of pastor friends, and who has been involved in various churches over the years, that, you know, especially in our evangelical circles, you know, there's this tendency to, to give a platform to the, the talented individuals, to the individuals who can speak uh, very charismatically and charming and, and say all the right magic words and, and make all the right gestures when, when called upon and who, who embody great leadership principles and organizational ideas and you know somebody who can really take charge and, and uh, direct uh, world-class organizations. <laughs> you know, and as important as those things might in fact be, at the end of the day, they're supposed to take a back burner to the type of men that we appoint to head our organizations as a church or whatever else we might find ourselves to belong to. Because at the end of the day, whether we're talking about a pastor, a president, or a CEO, character matters. And the individuals that we appoint to, to head over ourselves and to represent ourselves and to lead our communities and, and to take charge of of whatever it is that we're ultimately a part of, we're going to find ourselves floating adrift as individuals without a sail, as individuals without a rudder, unless we commit to make sure that our organizations consist of people who are on the same page when it comes to values and ethics and behavior. And no organization can afford no organization can afford to ultimately make light of such things. Indeed, we should pay close attention to the people that we hire, to the people that we appoint to lead us, to the people that we ask to get involved and to, to work on our behalf. We should take great care to recognize no matter what you're involved in. I don't care if it's a religious organization or a secular organization. I don't care if it's a country, uh, a country, or a Fortune 500 company, or a small nuclear family. Whoever we're involved with at the end of the day, everybody that we're willing to identify with as being part of our group, being part of our clique, they should embody the ethics, beliefs, values, and behaviors. And those who fail to do such, we should hold them accountable. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't you know, be gracious to such individuals in kind and look to restore them whenever possible, for their failures uh, to um, ultimately adhere to whatever our visions and values and ethics and code of conducts are. People need coaching. People need encouragement. People need directing. But we shouldn't suffer fools. We shouldn't suffer individuals who are ultimately sabotage what it is we're ultimately about. Because if we start tolerating it, even on the fringes of whatever we're involved in. Um, ultimately, we doom ourselves to destruction. And as the Apostle Paul said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So it's not long before that little sin that everybody excuses and make lights of light of ultimately takes over a community and results in its downfall 
and destruction. So knowing such things, let's not be outdone ethically by the mafia, folks. If the mafia has a Ten Commandments that they ultimately are willing to embody and values that they're willing to adhere to and codes of conduct and behavior that they expect among their members, then let us who are not part of organized crime syndicates, who are parts of churches and governments and political parties and corporations and sports leagues and Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts or whatever it is we're a part of. Let us be willing to call other folks out. Let us be willing to hold each other accountable. Let us be willing to shepherd one another, to watch over one another, to correct one another when necessary. And if push comes to shove, be willing to make the hard decision to separate with that individual who is involved in our church, our corporation, our political organization, or whatever it is we're involved with. Because we realize that there's something greater at stake here. And that whatever sense of success such individuals we feel may ultimately be able to bring us in their leadership or in their employment or in their involvement with our ministries and organizations and political parties and all that fun stuff, We also ultimately need to be willing to cast such individuals out if they fail to live up to the expectations of our community. Because if we fail to excommunicate them, if we fail to shun them, then we're only dooming ourselves to failure. And we'll just only cannibalize the thing that we say we love and all that we have worked for. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, episode 77, What the Mafia's Ten Commandments Can Teach Us. Hope you've learned a thing or two. If you have, be sure to let me know. Email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com. Give me your feedback. I'm involved on Facebook. I'm involved on Twitter. Share this podcast with friends, with family. Subscribe if you have not already. You can subscribe anywhere you download these podcasts, be it on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, what have you. And wherever you can leave a review, make sure you leave a five-star review and let everybody know uh, how awesome this show is. And and please, only make sure you leave your five-star reviews because your three-star reviews, I I don't want those. You can keep those to yourself. Shh, don't tell anybody if you think this is a three-star show instead of a five-star show. If this is a three-star show, just just move on. (laughs) But anyway... At any rate, I hope you've enjoyed today's show. This has been Jimmy Humphrey with Jimmy'sTable.com where I'm having conversations about faith, life, culture, and sometimes food. Have a good day, everybody, and God bless. Do you see the light? What light? Have you seen the light? Yes! Yes! I have seen the light! Air smudge.